This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Welcome to this episode of Property Jam, where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And we have an amazing, another amazing special guest for you this week. Uh, we have Stuart Semple, who does stuff in property. So tell us of what you do. Stuart, over to you. Who are you and why are you here? Thanks, guys. Uh, well, yes, I invest in property. I uh, got started maybe about five years ago, and I was looking for a better return on my money than just a standard savings account. And I saw um, something in a book about buying assets and making money from them, and I thought that sounded good, and uh, decided to learn a bit more and, uh, and got involved that way. Awesome. Excellent. And what book was this? This was Rich Dad Poor Dad. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> It had to be. <laughs> Sounds like a firm favourite. <laughs> it, it has come up a few times in passing conversation on this podcast. Yeah. Just it was recently. a real light bulb moment for me. Just the idea that you could buy an asset and then it would produce money for you. It sounds so simple now, but at the time, it was a completely unknown concept to me. Mm. Yeah, that's completely like mind-blowing, I have to say. I remember the same because I always thought that borrowing money was bad, um, leveraging uh, assets was bad and how you can buy assets that give you money i think is is one of the fundamental things that everyone should know doesn't really matter what that asset is but obviously property being one of the best i agree for sure so um one of the questions that we ask our guests when they come on the podcast uh, is um what does the human side of property mean to you so let's begin with that so yeah ha- what springs to mind when you think about that the first thing springs to my mind is being a tenant in one of my properties, what would I want? And when I'm refurbishing a property, I try and put myself in that position. What would I want if I was living in this flat? Um, so I try not to cut corners. I try to think about <clears throat> what it would be like for me living in the property and put myself in that person's shoes, have some empathy and try to make the property as livable and as comfortable um, and as a pleasant as a place, a, a home for for the tenant as possible a customer journey that's interesting because <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the um, old school property trainers out there will tell you uh, you rinse and repeat um you don't have to put your gold swan taps in uh, because you're not gonna be living in it um, and i think that idea has kind of flipped around a little bit because uh yeah these are homes it's not just an asset as we were saying it is something which yeah. someone's got to enjoy um, for a long period of time, well, hopefully a long period of time, they stay with you. Yeah, it's Very a balance, true. isn't it? You don't want to be going spending uh, crazy amounts of money on it, but you want to bring it up to a, a good standard and something that you would be proud of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, being in Scotland then, do you invest uh, you know, close to yourself or are you investing all over the UK? Just in Scotland, I did an analysis of all the towns and cities in Scotland and I found that the best area was uh, North Lanarkshire, um, for me anyway. Um, there were several areas identified. I went around and visited them and uh, I got a good feel for North Lanarkshire and started investing there about five years ago and I've bought, uh, bought a few properties there since then. Nice. Anyone know where North Lanarkshire is? I was nodding like I did. I've heard of it, but I was doing a lot of... <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Lanarkshire, but north? 
Ah, yes. <laughs> north. Yeah. 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 It's just north of South Lanarkshire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. It's <laughs> the area in between Edinburgh and Glasgow along the M8 uh, motorway, closer to Glasgow. Not very um, north, though. That's kind of like south of Scotland. But it, it must be it north is, of South Lanarkshire. It, it is not. <laughs> How to confuse our listeners. <laughs> so silly. My, my, um, my, my recollection of um, the M8 is, because I, I, for listeners that don't know, I used to live in Edinburgh um, for about four years. I, was, I studied there. And um, quite often I had to drive between Edinburgh and Glasgow for, for work because I was a sound engineer and, and like take equipment from uh, Edinburgh base to Glasgow events uh, and my yeah my memory of North Lanarkshire I didn't even know it was North Lanarkshire but my memory of that is the service station there's one service station between Edinburgh and Glasgow which I forget the name of it but um you generally always stop there halfway through I always remember going for a going for a cup of coffee scotch egg and a coffee scotch egg and <laughs> a coffee that is my memory of North Lanarkshire <laughs> So Stuart, I don't, I don't feel like I know enough about you, man. Like I want to know what you do. What does your day look like? Like, mm. what do you do in, like, are you full-time property or have you just got this as a bit of a side hustle? What's your story? This is a bit of a side hustle for me. I'm a doctor and I work full-time, so I do property in my spare time. I'm uh, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm training to be a forensic psychiatrist. Oh God, he's analysing all of us. Everyone just start behaving themselves, right? Okay. (laughs) Everything you say is being noted. I thought (laughs) you were giving us that clinical assessment look, like, oh God, this lot are crazy. (laughs) You're beyond beyond help, I'm afraid. I figured. I figured. Yeah. (laughs) How many episodes of Property Jam have you listened to? I'm slightly concerned. (laughs) Many, many in-depth analysis. That's why you came on to give us the verdict that actually we need help. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually selling his business yeah. right now. Like, yes. uh, guys, yeah. you need you need my help right now. <laughs> He's like, I've just bought a property in North Lanarkshire to actually book you in because you are going to be restrained. Yeah, you're you're all detained as of this minute. Got it. <laughs> oh dear. Forensic psychiatry, what does that look like? So that is um being a psychiatrist for people who've committed crimes whilst they're mentally unwell so it's like a profiler that is uh, might be one aspect i think that's more psychology and psychologists yeah. would cre- that would create a psychological profile for the police or the fbi but psychiatry's interfacing so between the, the american and- shows he just threw in fbi yeah. like that's normal i'm like oh my god that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> So carry on. <laughs> yeah, so, we, yeah, we had a talk last week actually as part of our teaching program from the, uh, it's called the FTAC, the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre in London. And it's a group of psychiatrists and police officers that analyse um, threats made to the royal family uh, from across the UK by potentially unwell people. Wow. And does that happen a lot? I, I suppose it does actually, because they would oh, be a target, day. wouldn't they? Really? Every Gosh, day, yeah. Wow. And it's about filtering out what is important and what's what's not important because lots of people write letters to the queen but not everyone's actually going to do something so you have to kind of like assess that and make a decision as to whether that's a legit threat or not well the people at ftac do we uh i am sort of working in one area and the dealing with people in that area who've committed crimes whilst they're unwell yeah 
Wow. Oh my God. We could do, I want to like screw property. I want to talk about this. This. <laughs> well, I was really going to ask if, if, if there's any way that your two roles overlap. Hmm, good question. Do any of you, do you come across any of your um, clients hmm. in your day job, in your property? <laughs> well, he's or... just met us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't think, other than, I guess, the sort of assessment side of things and being logical and looking at things in detail, you have to look at lots and lots of information when you're doing a risk assessment and go through all of the patient's old notes and, and learn about everything they said or did. And I guess in property, you would be doing the same thing. You'd be meticulous on your viewing. You'd be doing your research on the area. Um, you'd be looking at comparable properties. So there's a lot of detail-oriented stuff um that is similar between the two jobs but i think that's about the only connection so you wouldn't find yourself because a, lo a lot of people who have gone through um i don't know personal trauma in their life that involved help from the nhs have like a vested interest in providing housing for nurses or doctors for example do you feel like you are drawn to a particular type of tenant within your profession or have you just kept the two completely separate i kept it completely separate i think there would be a bit of a conflict of interest in terms of my judgment would be affected as a landlord if I needed to make a decision whereby, you know, someone wasn't paying the rent or, or I wanted to move forward with that. Then I would, I would find the, the boundaries between being like a doctor and a landlord would be difficult to, uh, difficult to decide on. We, we've got a mutual friend who uh, used to be a uh, policeman and um, he once um, was raiding a property uh, or was going to a property to raid it and uh, yeah it was one of his properties and they were going to break down the door he said oh, hang on a minute I've, wow. I've got the key <laughs> no way <laughs> landlord incoming <laughs> in uniform yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. so uh, it depends oh, on your strategy because uh, yeah yeah well I was going to say I was going to say um, you know certain social housing strategies are more um, you can have more issues but not necessarily um, yeah, but I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, don't go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah I've literally took the words out of my mouth. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I had one more question, actually, in relation to your sort of medical background and property. Mm. So we had a guest on not so long ago called, it's Ros Mitchell, isn't it? That's her last name. It's Miller. 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 Why do I always call her Mitchell? I always do that. Sorry, Ros, if you're listening. Ros Miller. Um, and she was, she's bones, isn't she? That was her specialism, bones and stuff. And, um, bones and stuff. <laughs> bones, uh, but, but also bones and feet. I think bones and feet. But that is the official yeah. name for orthopedics, bones and stuff. Bones and stuff. <laughs> bones and stuff. She's, she's a professor and she spent years training for bones and stuff. <laughs> for bones and stuff. Bones and stuff, yeah. She was saying, she was saying that she finds working with people in the medical profession is really interesting on the clinical side, but on the business side, they're like the most clueless people. Have you found the same thing that like now that you've obviously opened up your mind and now you're kind of doing something that's really asset driven and you're thinking about business mm. and returns, are you trying to explain it to colleagues and they're looking at you like, well, I do bones yeah. and stuff. What are you talking about? <laughs> What at my stage, I'm, um, <laughs> as you get more senior in the NHS, you do more managerial things. And Ros is a consultant, so she will be managing uh, her local Bones service and, and doing service development and things. Whereas I'm at a bit of a younger stage in my training, so uh, most of my work is clinical. I don't do much on the managerial side of things. So um, there's there's hardly any uh, sort of business decisions that I'm involved in at all. And actually, that's probably a good thing. Because to, 
well actually maybe this might might Rose again if you're listening I apologize but do you want to, don't you want to be focused on the the business of looking after people not on the business of running a business yes to make you a good doctor that is one thing the NHS does well it gets a lot of stick for having too many managers but the managers do actually do a lot of the work that, that allows us to be clinicians and not have to worry about that side of things so it's it is good in that way mm. And have you told many of your colleagues what you do um, on the property side of things? Yeah, I would say most of them know. Yeah. Do they get it? Yeah. Because that's where, that's where Roz was trying to sort of explain it to us. She's like, they're like looking at mm-hmm. me like when I'm trying to explain how money works, for example, and assets work and stuff. And they're just either not interested or don't necessarily have time to understand it or don't think it's that important or don't get it. And yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever tried to explain it to anyone. I've mentioned it in passing and if they're interested, I'll have a conversation about it. But I don't think I've ever sat down with someone and tried to explain, you know, the return on this is this and this is what, you know. I, uh, <laughs> why, why ever not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, some, yeah, most, most people are interested and ask me questions about it. And yeah, I do like talking about it. So I'm very happy to, to chat about it. Mm. And just being here today. Yeah, definitely. Yes, absolutely. So I believe you uh, have come prepared with a question for us because remember, this is not an interview, it's a conversation, it's a chat. So um, mm. when, we, when we asked you whether you were prepared, you had a look of glee on your face. I'm slightly worried about what this question <laughs> is, but over to you. <laughs> well, I'm thinking uh, about mistakes at the moment and about mistakes that I've made recently in terms of property investment. So I'm hoping to learn from your mistakes. So my question would be, what is the biggest mistake or the biggest learning that you've taken from something that's gone wrong? Maybe it's not a mistake. Maybe it's a a near miss. That's something that's happened that you managed to avoid. But what would be your main um, learning point or main mistake that you've made in your property investment journey so far? Oh, I know this. Mine is make no assumptions. Um, about what other people know or or think you want so that's particularly true on the refurb side um because you know you're going to have say a main contractor who's doing your refurb and they'll have loads of subcontractors and there's lots of sort of weak points in that chain so you need to be really Mm -hmm. clear on what it is you want and then that main contractor needs to fully understand it because if you assume something there's a risk that it didn't get translated to the main contractor then if he assumes something there's a risk that every subcontractor has just now been misinformed and now you've got sort of five people all over a project doing the thing that you didn't want them to do and that escalates so I had that with a paint job and I, I basically picked out four different paints and I knew exactly where each paint needed to go on whichever wall. Uh-huh. And I, I, I had let them over like <clears throat> a WhatsApp video call confirm it. Um, and they just, something got lost in translation between me being clear and them not being clear. And then mm. I went to do a site visit, walked in and half the house had been painted and it was a big, big house. The whole top floor had been painted in completely the wrong colour. And it was four days Uh-oh. work that, had, you know, already happened. <laughs> and I walked yeah. in and, you know, when you're like, <clears throat> I don't want to kick off because mm. I was so shocked. I went into hysterics and fell on the floor <laughs> laughing. 
because it was just such a big mistake because I paid £3,000 for a designer to come in and do this Fifty Shades of Grey theme that I'd gone for. And it was supposed to be knight's armour on the wall. And I had like some pink sort of fairy grey going on. And I was like, oh no, it just, the whole design was ruined because I didn't communicate properly. So, you know, I had to pay for another three days of paint labour, I think, in order to get that fixed. Yeah. But yeah, Eric was not happy, my decorator. But we got, he got, no extra, he got an extra three days work out of it. He did, but he was already <laughs> committed to another job, which really wasn't a good thing. But um, yeah, well, I could have, to be fair, I could have settled for the mistake because it looked, it did look pretty, but it wasn't the design and it would have just wasted all the money that I'd spent on the designer. So um, yeah, we, we, we went back to it. So, <clears throat> so in the future, would you produce a document with clear and written instructions that you would hand over is that how you would do it in the future or i tend to be quite prescriptive anyway but i think i just got comfortable with this particular team so i don't know if i'd have yeah maybe i'd have maybe i'd write it down next time um or maybe i would have just yeah. been a little bit more vigilant when he showed me and just said yeah that that mm -hmm. that that i didn't i was like yeah yeah yeah, you got it yeah yeah that's that's more yeah. or less it fuck wasn't definitely yeah. a, a picture paints a thousand words yeah literally I think my, my, mine would be quite similar to yours, Joe, because we've um, I, I just be and as in being extremely clear uh, what you want, what the outcome you're looking for is. Um, and we've we've produced a document this time on our one of our projects, which is the first time we've ever done it, um, which is the interior design brief. Um, so literally handed it to the build team so that if something does go wrong, we can go back to the brief and say that, you know, it's here in black and white. This is what we've asked you for. You've given us the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that that's having, having that type of brief, like having a schedule of works um, for a project um, just, just makes life a hell of a lot easier. Everything is agreed to at the beginning. And then if something does go wrong, like someone paints, spends four days painting the upper floor of a property mm -hmm. and it's completely wrong, you've got something to come back to. Um, but as well as that, I think for me, it helps with my um, sense of um, imposter syndrome as well. Because I, I went to, I go to sites sometimes or even going on viewings or whatever it might be. And if I'm, or if I assume the person that I'm speaking to is more knowledgeable um, or has more experience than what I do, then I feel like mm. I'm, I shouldn't be there. Um, who, who am I to give these guys instructions? Who am I to tell the plumber what type of boiler we want when he's the experienced one and I'm not? Yeah. Um, so if it's, mm -hmm. if it's all done and dusted at the beginning, then it just makes life a lot easier and helps me with my own, uh, I guess, uh, my own confidence in my ability to portray what I need. It doesn't happen all the time, but there are occasions it just becomes a bit overwhelming. It backs you up, doesn't it? It does, I it does back you up, yeah. Just listening to what you guys just said there, it sounds like it's um, it's not the the initial setting up of a project which is the issue. It's when you start to vary the decisions. So actually, be, um, because when you set up a project, you put your schedule of work, there's lots of thought into it. Maybe an architect, project manager, and it's all done. It's costed, um, and and then you do the project, and then the project starts. And invariably, there's going to be um, changes, uh, things that need you know. Um, uh, something that's not quite the same on site the, you know, choosing wh what color goes on what wall and the interior design stuff that that's what happens afterwards so yeah it's interesting how people just 
forget about the detail once they've initially set up a project. But I think being on top of it all the way through is, is really important. And what Niall said about um, creating an interior design brief. So once you get to handover or close to handover, this is what it needs to be done. There's like a secondary document or pieces of paper which back up the variation. So if there's going to be a variation, it needs to be confirmed in writing so that everyone knows what's agreed. Um, and I think as you're doing it, you're just like, as Joe said, just yeah, 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 because you've probably got a thousand and one other things going on in your mind um, that you just yeah trust the people on site. Um, so this is a reason why yeah, we have project managers and, and people that have that um, more level of detail than, than we do normally. And can be projects. eyes on the ground for you. And as eyes well. on the ground as well. Yeah, yeah this is it. Because you can, you can put all these documents together and provide them to your build team. But... Mm you know that they might not look at it they might not understand what you're trying to achieve um so just having someone that understands what you're doing or what you're trying to achieve makes life a lot easier so i know i've definitely tried to tell a builder what to do and say do this do this do this and the builder comes back and says no no send me a drawing so actually sometimes <laughs> the builders are are um uh, on top of it and i'm just like well no i don't want to get a drawing done for this but actually in, in the past i have just either scribbled on a previous drawing we've had done um or done my own little sketch and actually that in itself as i said a picture paints a thousand words can just mm. clarify what what you mean because what's in your head does isn't necessarily what is in someone else's head just recently yeah. can i just tell you something really weird you're so telling that to a psychiatrist matt <laughs> <laughs> be careful <laughs> so yeah so I, I had this um situation recently where i was getting uh, my flat repainted and i i said could you quote to re to paint the door and i said yeah yeah sure but the guy only painted half the door like half my front door meaning just the inside so he it was like the last day of the paint job and he was like yeah nearly finished final coat yeah and i was like Dale, are you going to do the front of my door and like the side bits? And he was like, oh, that wasn't priced up in the job. Why would you price up half a front door? Half a door. <laughs> weird. So you can never assume that people think the same as you because for mm. me, so now when I'm talking about works, I'm going to have to say, oh, and when I say paint the wall, I mean the whole wall or if I paint the door, Paint the whole all door, walls, all four walls, like paint. all four yeah. walls, all eight <laughs> sides of the door. Right? <laughs> like, it was so strange, and like he painted a bathroom cupboard, but didn't paint the side. I was like, why? I think you, you know? I think you did a new decorator. No, I, mean, I really, yeah, I think that's. No, uh... He was, he was, hands down, probably one of the funniest people I've ever met. A conspiracy theorist, like no one I've ever met in my entire life, like unbelievable. I've got video footage which I would like to show. You could do a clinical assessment of this guy. Like I've never, <laughs> honestly, like yeah, he may need to be sectioned. He was slightly crazy, but I kind of loved him for it as well. And I like the fact that he thought that half a door was was acceptable, but obviously <laughs> yeah. that didn't. You know, what bugs me sometimes is um, so we've just done a, a big project and inside the cupboards have just been left completely bare, like plastic. <laughs> it's like, well, what? Just because it's behind a closed door doesn't mean that it doesn't need to look okay. You know, just a whitewash, please. Just something. Oh. So you go and open up this cupboard and it's a complete tip. You've got this beautiful property and you go in the cupboard and it's like, well, oh. Like, <laughs> 
like seriously and now it's going to be an absolute pain to to paint around the things that are in there like a boiler or that you know because it's not just a boiler cupboard it's boiler plus storage plus it's just that that lack of thought um and but again, that's, can't, can't can't detail, detail, it? yeah. that's assumption because the thing is when when people are quoting up for stuff and especially decorators they're really finickety about stuff like that they'll just sort of say oh did you want the did you want the inside of the, of the wardrobe painted or both sides of the kitchen doors yes both sides like because in their mind it's more time it's more labor it's more money so you kind of have to step into the shoes of 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 tradespeople sometimes when you're thinking about you know what it is that they're going to be costing up and you would never assume that like oh my god my cat is meowing it's trying is to that what it, i was trying to figure out what the hell that it was, was a rooster <laughs> it's, 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 roosters. it's rafferty he's agreeing about the paint situation so shush cat right carry on with the podcast <laughs> oh you could go on my mistake now aren't you oh hello for those watching this video there is a yeah. cat in shot what's Biggest learning. Well, there's, there's quite a lot to, to count. I'm trying to think of the, the biggest ones. Um, I think a lot of it probably, it's all down to working with contractors. Everything that we've said, I would agree with. And I've made those mistakes before, as I've talked about. One learning that we have mentioned on the podcast before is about um, fraud. So we've been victims of fraud before whereby um, someone's hacked into an email address somewhere along the chain, either us or it was a contractor, either us or the contractor, and um, had intercepted an invoice and amended the the bank details on an invoice between um, getting from one side to the other. Um, And uh, we made the payment and uh, the bill never got the payment. So um, we learned the lesson of whenever there's a new bank details to be set up um, double checking it in um, either a, on a a different form of communication so either over the phone or via whatsapp or you know don't email i don't trust so i want a secondary form of uh, contact from yeah. that that was a big learning it's interesting i've heard about that in the newspapers but i, I don't think i've ever met one met anyone who's who's um that's happened to so yeah we, we got all the money back minus minus about 25 quid but we, yeah we almost <laughs> lost about eight grand yeah wow mm. yeah so um yeah we're very fortunate um so we're now very careful about transferring money especially large sums of money to a bank account which is a new bank account um so um, i know some people do like a test transfer of like a pound first things like that just to make sure things go through so um uh, yeah. yeah sometimes we do that but um just yeah by double checking the bank details with someone but all the other learnings have been uh, through working with builders um mm-hmm. and putting too much trust or too much faith in um a contractor without without the back the backup of a clap of you know that piece of paper but yeah thankfully those errors are they generally get less and less and less the more you do this um so we we mitigate those by uh as i said by having a project manager someone in the middle they just get replaced with other things (laughs) yeah yeah learning in other areas yeah exactly it's always it's always a learning curve you don't you'll never know it all no. Oh, I, I feel like we're getting to the to the, the area of informative. No, what have we done? Sorry, oh, listeners. I oh, didn't mean to do that. Oh, listeners. <laughs> Should maybe go to a bit of roulette? Not chat roulette, as, as Matt suggested earlier. Not chat so roulette. No, this is episode roulette. Dangerous. Diff- different kind of game, right? Here we so go. So this is where we quiz you, Stuart, on your knowledge of all of the episodes so far, now that you've done your homework. Oh, yes. Well, I've been revising, so I'm prepared. <laughs> right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to 
start scrolling and when uh you feel the appropriate moment hit you just say stop Stuart. okay stop oh okay well i wasn't sure whether the okay was the stop it sounded very like okay (laughs) 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 be honest i would have stopped there i was saying to Stuart earlier when he first came on not only has he got like a proper professional setup with this microphone but you've got a voice for radio dude like it's so smooth you should do like a fraser crane sort of radio that would be the dream job is that the dream job yes Right. Good morning. I'm listening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're in the yeah, you need to you need to go into broadcasting. You've got the voice and the mic for it. Get amongst it. <laughs> right, okay. So we've stopped on FOMO. I know what you've got FOMO about. Having your own radio station. <laughs> mm, <laughs> your radio show. Sure. <laughs> so FOMO, have you got is there anything in property that has caused you to have fear of missing out? Yeah, probably the holiday let situation in Edinburgh. And that has been sort of exploding for the last few years. And um, yeah, I've had some fear of, of missing out on that. And I've done my best to, to get involved in it. Um, but for a while, I was, um, I was looking at these properties that were selling way above asking price. And I was like, oh, maybe I should just increase my offer, increase my offer. And, you know, so many properties went by that I viewed and hundreds of people would view them and they would all go above asking price. And in my head, the numbers didn't really make sense, but I would get this feeling like, oh, maybe I should just do it anyway um, because I don't want to miss out. Um, So I think that's probably the first thing that comes to mind Mm. with FOMO. Did you buy any to do that? I did. I did buy one. Um, I did. I got it below asking price actually um because oh, that's, the, that's rare for edinburgh it is the sale fell through i wasn't the highest offer but the the initial um buyer couldn't get financing so i did manage to get it at a price that worked for me um but uh yeah it wasn't it certainly wasn't the first one that i viewed no mm. no we've got um a service accommodation unit in edinburgh and i have to say it's, it's now on a on a tenancy agreement because uh, um, over, converted over it was that during the pandemic yeah yeah and actually to be honest the numbers are not that dissimilar from uh, all the profits not that really? similar yeah so mm. i don't know whether we were not getting high enough service accommodation uh, rentals um mm-hmm. but um yeah the, the profit is you know it's a de- it's, it's edinburgh rentals are quite decent anyway so mm. fantastic i guess running uh, costs um, for service accommodation yeah. must be high yeah mm. Yeah, you've got the the cleaners and you've got the power and the gas and the TV and the broadband and yeah, adds up. Mm, yeah, HMO on steroids. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all going. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right, should we go again? Yes. Let's do Joe it. Joe was nodding, and going right. Yeah, what's next? Oh, it's yeah. me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm so tired. Please forgive me, Stuart. Right, here we go. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. <laughs> Yeah, Joe normally dominates the, the, the podcast. So I'm very quiet. We're, we're quite, quite glad that she's. Uh... What are you today? Are you um, hungover? Are you exhausted? You. Uh... I'm teaching. I was teaching at the weekend, so I've got this. This should Ooh. be my weekend today. I should be having a duvet day, but I've been dragged out of my pit to record this lovely podcast for you, Stuart. It's been worth it well, so far. 
Much appreciated. So far. I love the way you said so, so far. far. <laughs> yeah. You've still got an opportunity to fuck it up, up. yet, sure. <laughs> Don't ruin it, Stuart. Don't ruin it, okay? okay. Right, here we go. Okay. Am I meant to be saying stop? Am I, um, yes, yeah. Stop. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Pressure. This was episode 31. So this, uh, this actual episode, when we recorded it, was to do with the pressure that we were all feeling around the pandemic. So I don't know if there was anything that you felt over the last few months that caused pressure. The first thing that comes to mind when, when I think about pressure in property was the pressure to get my first deal done. Oh, and I was putting a lot of pressure on myself and it just didn't come for ages and ages and ages. I, I think I viewed 136 properties <laughs> and offered on. 130 of them and it was 130 no's and I was like oh man this is never gonna happen um and eventually it did but th that was a lot of pressure and it was quite stressful um recently during the pandemic I was um I was redeployed to uh awards um so I was doing clinics like outpatient clinics and I was redeployed to look after a hospital ward um of old people um and that was a bit pressure because it wasn't what I'd signed up for. Uh, you know, I was losing out on some of the, the work that I liked and doing something I, did, I wasn't particularly um, enjoying um, and looking after people and wearing the, the PPE. And um, so, yeah, that, that, was a bit, uh, that was a bit pressure during the mm. pandemic. Did you feel any pressure from your portfolio? Was there any tenant problems? Was there any stresses? Oh, yeah. Well, the... Um, the, I have a one service accommodation in Edinburgh, so that was no no income for six months on that. And then yeah. I I'm in the middle of bringing another service accommodation in Edinburgh to market, and things have gone wrong with that one um, in terms of building warrant regulations. So uh, no income from that. And then one of my tenants decided to move during the pandemic, uh, which I don't think is. I don't think it was allowed during lock, like during the height of lockdown, but they did it anyway. So there was no income from that property. And then another tenant uh, was uh, furloughed, and so um, took a little took a, a break from payments. So yeah, I was under I was under a bit of financial pressure. Mm. Gosh, yeah, that's that's um that's a lot of problems in one hit. Actually, it's uh it's quite unusual. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> and are you coming out the other end of it now? Yeah, I'm coming out the other end of it now. Yeah, definitely. There's uh, all all the properties are tenanted. Uh, the service accommodation is is not back at what it was, but it's it's good. And the one that is had problems with building warrant regulations, I'm moving forwards with that now and trying oh. to get it fixed. So, yeah, those of you who don't know Scottish rules, um, building warrants are the same as building regs regulations in the, in England and Wales but in Scotland um, you have to use the council and um, it's a lot more stringent uh, well well listen I'm not gonna say it's a lot more stringent it's just from my experience of chatting to people who do it it's a, a lot more painful it's like working with a, a um, an English council to get your building regulations through rather than working with, a, with an improved inspector I chatted to my um, my brother-in-law is an architect and he was an architect in Edinburgh and um, had just moved to England and he's been he was 
I was explaining how the approved inspector system worked and he just couldn't wrap his head around the fact that they, he wasn't the council that was going to sign off your building warrant and that you could actually have a decent conversation with them and you know brainstorm solutions is like <laughs> he just couldn't quite get his head around that because um uh, yeah, he was you know, budgeting about three or four months to get a building warrant or something quite simple on their house in England. I was like, no, it's not going to take that long. Yeah. You've got, you give your notice, you work with the approved inspector, and as long as everything is um, hunky-dory, it'll just you can just do it, get it signed off. Mm. Yeah, I would say three months would be a, a delight. It took me six months to get the initial approval for, for the warrant on this project. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot more um, communication what, what time. What was it? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, it was, uh, it was quite simple. Yeah. It was reconfiguration of a two bed flat into a three bed flat, no significant structural, structural work, um, creation of an ensuite, um, removal, removal of a few non load bearing walls. Um, yeah. What? And it took, what, so what's the issue? Why were they so difficult about it? They were just so backlogged with applications that it took six oh. months for them to review the initial uh, the initial one yeah and they're still so snowed under that any any back and forth you know takes weeks oh man. So we yeah, we're, we're finding that a lot with with councils with banks with everyone that we're dealing with right now it's just everything is just taking so much longer than what it should do yeah yeah for sure shall we do so, one more so frustrating we do one more um speed mm-hmm mm -hmm. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. So we have to answer this one in about five words. Stop. Oh. <laughs> Back to work blues. So this is, um, we've recorded this uh, when it was the new year. So it was January. And, you know, we're just getting right back into the swing of it. And we were focusing on people who were still working and in property. So I suppose you've just been working the whole of <laughs> the pandemic. Really. I've been working, yeah, the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah, I suppose it's a bit of a tough one to answer for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would say I just moved into a new job doing forensics. So the way it works is you do some some three years of psychiatry training, getting a feel for the different areas, and then you can choose to subspecialize. And I've subspecialized in forensics and I'm loving it. So there is no, no blues here. I enjoy my work very much. Awesome. You enjoy your day job and your hobby. I do. Yeah, quite lucky. Oh, good on the you. Life, live the life of Stuart Semple. <laughs> <laughs> the Semple life. <laughs> that is going to be the title of the podcast. The episode. <laughs> Indeed. Ah, uh, yeah. Love it. That's perfect. Cool. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably about um, us for today. So, thank you so much, Stuart, for coming on. Uh, it's been very insightful. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll say that's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. That's a goodbye from me. Thank you very much for having me on, and it's a goodbye from me. Oh my god, he's such a true radio professional. <laughs> <laughs> Come and jam with us on social media where you can hear more and see more. On Facebook, search Property Jam Podcast. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Property Jam Podcast. Or you can email us at propertyjampodcast at outlook.com. See, see you on, on the next, next episode. episode.